This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. For 17 years as an extension agent with the Florida Sea Grant Program at University of Florida, Betty Stogler has been based at the UFIFIS Extension's Charlotte County office, helping coastal residents and people whose livelihoods depend on the marine ecosystem deal with issues, including harmful algal blooms in southwest Florida. Sea Grant is a program within the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that's administered here in Florida through the University of Florida. Stogler is now taking on a new role as NOAA's Harmful Algal Bloom Liaison, where she'll work with two other NOAA programs to coordinate harmful algal bloom communications. She'll also work to develop new data-driven communication tools about harmful algal blooms to better serve decision makers in addressing these growing concerns. I spoke with her earlier today about her work and this new role. Let's hear that now. Betty Stogler is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's new Harmful Algal Bloom Liaison. She's with the Florida Sea Grant Program at University of Florida. Betty, welcome to the show. Thank you. This conversation is pre-taped, but we do invite you to join our conversation on WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So for starters, tell us a bit about your background. I want to start with you got your... MS in environmental science with a focus in disturbance ecology. What is that? Oh, sure. So disturbance ecology is, um, you know, any time that we have an event, whether it's human or natural, that causes harm to the environment and causes it to maybe revert back to a prior stage of growth. Mm -hmm. So my focus for my um, graduate degree was on hurricane disturbance um, in mangrove communities. And so we had Hurricane Charlie. You, I think many people will remember that, did significant damage to the shorelines of Charlotte Harbor uh, mangroves. And my research was related to evaluating the recovery of those mangrove forests and looking at different restoration techniques. Real quick, how are the mangroves doing now that we're 17 years post-Charlie? You know, you wouldn't even know there was a hurricane. They look really, really good. Cool. Um, So before becoming a Sea Grant agent, which we'll get to in a little bit, in 2004, you worked as a scientist for the Charlotte Harbor Environmental Center and as an environmental specialist for the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, uh, Charlotte Harbor Aquatic Preserves. Just real quick, kind of what were you doing in those two roles? And was it, are you on a direct line since then? Um, I would say, yes, a direct line and that it's always been related to the coast. Um, with the aquatic preserves, I was a um, worked on resource management. We did a little bit of research and a lot of outreach. So that parallels really nicely with the track that I'm in right now. And um, with the environmental center, they had just started a small research arm. And so we were really collating existing research information and trying to make it publicly accessible and readable to lay audiences. And so, again, that that tracks really well with the um, outreach and extension that I've done over the majority of my career. Yeah, no, definitely sounds like and kind of what this whole new role is about, too, yeah, in, in some ways. The technology's probably gotten better in terms of being able to aggregate information and maybe present it. You don't have to go places to pick up reports anymore. Right. Everything's online now, which is nice. So what is Sea Grant? So CRAN is a federal-state partnership program. Um, the federal partner is the National Ocean uh, – Ocean, uh, NOAA. 
<laughs> That'll work. I'll stick with Noah from here on out, too. You, you already said it, so I can just go with Noah. Um, the federal partner is NOAA, and um, there are state partnerships in all coastal states um, with academic institutions. And then there's also a partnership at the local level with county governments. And so we try to bring the, the research to bear to local communities to help address issues and also identify needs that could benefit from research and tap into those research connections that we have through the university system. And so this is through University of Florida. IFAS. And when we think of IFAS, I think of farmers, agriculture, ranchers, lumber. This is that for coastal communities, coastal residents, coastal industries, trying to tie the science to the people. That's exactly correct. When um, when the Sea Grant program started in the, the mid-1960s, it was really created from the successes of the land-grant institution, which is that IFAS. And it was coined as agents in hip boots that were, would go out on the dock and work with the commercial and recreational fishers. And of course, you know, since the 1960s, our coastal issues have changed and expanded into many different directions. So today's Sea Grant works in everything from climate change to coastal ecology to marine education to fisheries and a wealth of other things. So you've been there since 2004. Describe sort of, you know, the things that you do. Um, you know, what are the projects that you accomplish? What are the ways that you facilitate this connection? Sure. So I um, I worked in Charlotte County as an extension agent from 2004 until I took this new position. And my role was really to work with end users of information. So I, I had an advisory committee made up of different industry um, sectors, fishing guides, um, commercial fisheries folks, aquaculture, um, tourism, marine industries, bait and tackle shops, those types of folks. And they were essentially the experts in their field that provided me with the information that helped me develop programs to address concerns that they were experiencing in Charlotte County. So my programs, I, I'm still a geeky scientist at heart, so I really enjoyed doing a lot of citizen science. So when we would identify problems, a lot of times it was, you know, because I'm an educator, I'm, you know, I'm paid to educate people, but I can build these research programs that incorporate volunteers and they're learning, they're extending information, I'm extending information, and we're at the same time, we're gaining data that we can then bring other researchers in to help to support um, management decisions, policy decisions, those types of things. So, um, so a lot of citizen science, a lot of um, presentations, getting out into the community, um, teaching adult education, those types of things. Citizen science is something that we're well familiar with now, um, especially because of technology. There's been a lot of ways that you can get people involved in a way that's you know more straightforward. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when that started becoming a possibility or all the way back to 2004, were you still trying to harness the, you know, the observations that are available from, you know, getting normal people involved? So it's it's interesting because I think when I started in 2004, I, I actually already had a project that I was doing with the Environmental Center. Um, we were looking at septic system impacts, and we were actually using volunteers for that project. 
But it was several years, it was, I guess, a couple years later that I really figured out how to incorporate it into my extension programs. And actually for um, my master's thesis, which was that mangrove project, I that was a huge citizen science, or I guess we're now qu- coining it community science. Oh, that's the first I've heard that. Yeah, okay. yeah that's, um, that's the new buzzword is community science. Um, and at the same time, I was doing a project where we were tagging redfish and looking at the fate post or uh, the survival post um, release from catch and release tournaments, and that mm. was also another citizen science project. So I'm going to say, you know, from a very early point in my extension career, I was using citizen science. We may not have coined it citizen science at the time, but um, that's always been an aspect that I've really enjoyed in my programming. When did harmful algal blooms in general come into your world? I mean, has that always been? I mean, I know we seem like we're more familiar with them now because we had a bad one a few years ago. But has that always been on, you know, the world that you're working in? It has. I'm not going to say that it has been, you know, it's it's risen to the level that it, it is now. Um, as an extension agent, you're always dealing with whatever the issue is at the moment. And so throughout my career, harmful algal blooms have been issues at the moment. I think when I really got involved was right around 2016. Um, that was when we had a pretty severe um, blue-green algae release from Lake Okeechobee and um, the blooms um, subsequently to the coast. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a lot of um, a lot of people asking questions and it forced me to to really delve into the issue. And um, my colleague and I, we put together a workshop actually for extension faculty because you know, we find that when we're located along the coast, our perception is not always the same as when you're an ag agent located in the interior part of the state. And so it was really a way for us to collectively understand the the issue. And um, from there, of course, you know, then we had the 2017 to 19 bloom. And I guess the rest is history. So I've I've pretty well been entrenched into harmful algal blooms since that time. And in 2019, I was offered kind of a mini um, position. It was a part-time position, uh, an appointment, I guess I would say, to be a liaison to one of the branches within NOAA working on harmful algal blooms. And that, I think, really just kind of set the stage for where I am today. When we had the, you know, the really bad uh, multi, you know, year and a half long bloom, basically, started in Lake O, came down the river, went out into the estuary. We had red tide offshore simultaneously. Did that blue-green algae make it up to Charlotte Harbor? I was trying to remember. It did not. Um, There has been some research that has shown that during the summer months, particles that are released into the Caloosahatchee River can make it up the eastern shoreline um, into the northern part of Charlotte Harbor. But as far as I know, there was nothing collected that demonstrated that that blue-green algae made it, made it there during um, 
trying to remember, was that 2018? Yeah, I was thinking it was 2000, like it's late 2017 into like early 2019 was my, is my memory. Yeah, that was the red tide bloom. But the release, the, the bad release, that was the summer of 2018, 2018. Right? yeah. That was when yeah, the peak was, of the bad release was. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and in general, most of the flow that comes out of the Caloosahatchee tends to head south because our currents want to push everything south. So in that regard, in Charlotte County, we're kind of fortunate. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Betty Stogler. She's the new Harmful Algal Bloom Liaison with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Sea Grant Program. She's with the Florida Sea Grant Program at University of Florida and has been an extension agent in their Charlotte County office since 2004. We're discussing her new role as NOAA's Harmful Algal Bloom Liaison. To engage with us and your fellow listeners about our conversation, find us on Facebook at WGCU Public Media and on Twitter. We're at WGCU using the hashtag G. ECL. So let's talk about this new this new role. Like, sure. How long have you been in it? What have you done so far? What are like the first things on your list of things to address? Sure. So I have been in the position um, kind of unofficially for four months, officially for about a week. And um, my role is supported by a larger project. Um, it is a federal state partnership program. And I have two line offices within NOAA that are federal partners. So on one side is the National Centers for Coastal Ocean Observing Science, and that is NCAUS. Um, I'm liaisoned with the HAB Forecasting Branch and a particular oceanographer, Dr. Rick Stump. And then on the other side of it, I am liaisoned with Coastwatch, which is under the line office NESDIS, and um, they make satellite products available to anyone who wishes to use them and also provides training on the use of using satellite products and developing tools. And um, that partner is Veronica Lance, and she's the program manager for NOAA's Coast Watch program. So my role is really to be a conduit between those NOAA programs and working through the Sea Grant network at a national scale to funnel information out of NOAA, um, these products, and then also get input from the end users through those Sea Grant connections back to NOAA. So over the course of the next several years, I'll be conducting a lot of workshops and trainings. Um, We're developing a new Coastwatch satellite training module um, on the use of satellites for harmful algal blooms. For predicting Um, or for tracking? For identifying blooms. And also for using perhaps in your own research. I see. Um, So a lot of scientists have research that they want to incorporate satellite imagery into. We're also going to be doing a lot of workshops um, around the country to get some input from end users, whether they be aquaculture interests or state agencies, water treatment facility operators, um, maybe a mix of all of the above regarding what their needs are in terms of forecasting of harmful algal blooms so that any products that are created are useful at the end user level to the best that you know we can we can make them available it's like what you're doing now except now it's national yeah so my my end users have changed. Um, I'm no longer working, you know, directly out in the community. You're no longer working with bait shops, right? I'm, I'm now working with Sea Grant agents yeah, and yeah, specialists, yeah. 
and they're working with their end users. Understood. So, so yes, I, I I look at it as you know previously my topical range was huge. Could be anything from fisheries to seagrass to you know climate change, but my geographic boundaries were very limited. And now my geographic boundary is huge because I'm working at a national level, but my topical focus is really narrow on harmful algal blooms and specifically the use of satellites and forecasting. Does this mean you're going to be doing a lot of traveling? Well, you know... Well, pandemic pending, I suppose. Pandemic pending, absolutely. So right now we're looking at doing some workshops in Maryland for the Chesapeake Bay and um, Washington State for Puget Sound in year one. And whether those will be in person or whether those will be over some type of online platform remains to be seen. But certainly if we can have them in person, then you can get people, you know, looking at the products and actually interacting with them in a much more meaningful way. But um, we'll do what we have to do. So much of the research on harmful algal blooms deals with the impact that they have on ecosystems. They are fueled by nutrients that come from human interactions. How much of this role and the work in this network focuses on the cause rather than the effect? So there, there is some um, focus with blooms where there can be causes identified. It, for instance, in the case of Karenia brevis, which is our red tide that blooms in the Gulf of Mexico, that is not initiated by human-induced um, nutrients, although nu- you know, our, they can they can play a role. They in can the play end a role, result, right? They Once are they out come into naturally. the yes, yes. yes. Um, in the case of Lake Erie, for instance, which has um, microcystis blooms, which is a blue-green algae, the same type of algae that occurs in Lake Okeechobee, um, there are really good forecasting models that are based on phosphorus inputs to the Mombi River, and so there is that component. To, um, to those forecasts, which um, leads to another aspect of the position um, and to NOAA's role in working with, you know, their, their local state and university partners because they're the boots on the ground that are collecting that field data that supports the forecasting models that are created through NOAA. You know, we've talked about water issues on this show many times over the years, and I've always envisioned a system where we would have enough monitoring collection sites that we could have, like, real-time information on where all this stuff is going. Is that within reach that you can see in terms of the research that's being done between satellites and floating buoys and stations along the coast? Can we get to a point where we can watch these things happen and start to get a sense of the causes behind them? That's the goal. That is ultimately the end goal. Um, But it's, you know, if you look at different locations, different areas of the country are in different stages of that. So there are some that are very well advanced and others that are 
you know, in their infancy, in their infancy. (laughs) Yes. There's also a lot of different bloom dynamics. So, you know, when we have Karenia brevis in the Gulf of Mexico, it tends to be a monoculture bloom, very kind of simple, if you will, in that regard. But if you look at Chesapeake Bay, they have many different blooms that can occur at one time. And so it's a very complex system. And other, you know, blooms like um, Alexandrium, up in the Gulf of Maine, there's really nice forecasts for it, but you can't see them from satellites because they're toxic at such low concentrations mm. that you really need some other type of forecasting tool. So it's it's a complicated system, and um, but you know, yes, that is ultimately where we want to go, and that's where um, the the integrated ocean observing systems that are also part of the proposal, the the project that I that supports my position. That's what they do is they take all of this data and they integrate it into different tools and products that are available to anyone who wants to use them. So they're working kind of at the next step between the NOAA folks and the end users to to integrate into um, tools that could be used by recreational fishers or could be used by public policymakers or resource managers. Um, your bio says that you have three boats, two kayaks, two paddle boards, so you clearly spend a lot of time on the water. Can you just talk some about what being on the water in Charlotte County in that area has been like over the years and how it's changed and where harmful algal blooms fit into that? Sure. So, yes, uh, my husband and I, we, we do like to be on the water as much as possible. Um I will say we love Charlotte County. We love um, Charlotte Harbor. And every time we leave, we're always grateful to come back, in part because of those beautiful mangroves. You just can't find that everywhere where you can just go hunker down and feel like, you know, you have your own little piece of paradise. But, um, yes, absolutely, we've seen changes over the years. And most dramatically in the last couple of years with significant seagrass loss. Um, One of the projects that I started in um, Charlotte County as a Sea Grant agent before I left, which is still going today, um, happily, is a seagrass macroalgae monitoring program. So macroalgae is um, the big algae that you can see without a microscope. A lot of the um, anglers will um, call it rolling moss or um, seaweed if it's green. And... um, In the last couple of years, we've had significant changes in our macroalgae community where we've had these huge blooms that have covered the seagrasses. And in the most recent aerial photography, which was just released earlier this year, in some parts of Upper Charlotte Harbor, we lost over 50% of our seagrass, which is huge. Um, System-wide, it was 23%. And so that's really concerning. And although we're seeing some recovery, and we think that, you know, a lot had to do with what we're calling a hangover effect from the significant red tide and maybe Hurricane Irma, we think that the harbor had to be at some type of tipping point 
in order to have that happen. So so there are some significant concerns, and that's the biggest one I'm going to say that I've seen. And the seagrasses are crucial for so much, including manatees, which are having yes. their worst year ever. So yeah. anyway, um, well, that is all the time we have. We'll have to have you back as you get further into this role. Uh, Betty Stogler is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's new harmful algal bloom liaison. She's with the Florida Sea Grant Program at University of Florida. Betty, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about this new position. Thank you so much for having me. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.